Welcome to another episode of Useless Degrees. I'm your host, Anthony Rastigue, and now that we're friends, you may call me Tony. Today, my guest is Randall Bozing. Randall went to Fair State University, transferred to Central Michigan University, and graduated with a degree in history. Then the Iraq War started, and then he enlisted and has been deployed many times. He has since been doing contract work for the Department of Defense and Department of State. He is also in the process of writing a book about traveling during COVID. So today, we're going to talk about what urged him to study history, his experiences overseas, and how to go about effectively entering a career in the service. Now let's get started. Thank you so much for joining me today, Randy. How are you doing today? Very well, thanks. Good to be here. All right, so let's jump into it. So let's start about your education background. Which area of history intrigued you the most? I really enjoyed the Western Civ, especially the, um, the Weimar Republic, which was the start of World War One. The Black Hand stuff, assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, that really intrigued me. So I decided to study that. With I got to be pretty good friends with a Professor Eric Johnson at Central Michigan University. That really motivated me to study that further. So yeah, that's why uh, I chose that. What were your goals when you were approaching graduation? What did you want to do for a career once you got out of school? Honestly, I was I had no direction as far as career goes. I knew I wanted to move to Chicago. I was a lost and immature that came around graduation time. Really lacked any focus and direction because I was a little bit too immature to be graduating at the time, even though I was like 22. But I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do at the time. What was it about Chicago that really drew you to that city? Just a vibrant city that wasn't too far away from home so i could have that energy of a a big city and also have the safety net of only a couple hour drive home if i uh like ran out of food money or something like that so it was the energy the city that really drew drew me to it i have been noticing a lot of people have been very quick to pivot and jump right into the chicago scene it just seems like an ongoing and energetic city to be a part of now you also mentioned earlier that you transferred to central michigan so so walk me through your decision behind that. It was a girl. <laughs> really? I left Ferris because of a girl. Yeah. And uh, I went to Ferris literally just to get out of my house. It was like the first school that accepted me. And I just could not wait to get out of my parents' house. So I, I got to Ferris. I had no idea what I was going to do there. I had a really bad breakup with a girl in one of my five sick big brother was transferring to Central. And I was like, you know, uh, he's like, drive up there with me and I went to check out the campus and I was like yes I want to be here do you think you made the right decision despite the breakup that occurred I do I do I've really enjoyed my time I understand you're a Bronco I was actually really tight with touchdown Timmy Lester was a good friend of mine you guys is coach now I had one of the best times of my life uh, playing catch with him on your stadium yeah yeah Tim Lester's a great guy anyway yeah central had every I was looking for that ultimate college experience and central luckily because I was not good academically somehow I squeaked my way into that school and I was like I gotta go I gotta go here now do tell me what you mean by college experience because those words are often thrown around and for better or worse people definitely have a differing opinion on what a college experience is and that could range from the partying atmosphere that could range from the mature atmosphere of getting an education education from a lot of professionals, which it certainly is, but a lot of people have different thoughts on what it really means to have a college education. So what is your definition of that experience? Yes, for me, the college, the quote unquote college experience was like living with my classmates, living in dorms, 
joining a fraternity, playing college club sports, uh, Saturday morning college football, meeting the different professors, of course the social aspect of it, the girls, the whole, all that encompasses my idea of a good college experience. That's what I was looking for. And of course, we can't forget Tuesday night Maction as well. Oh, yes, absolutely, which was phenomenal this past week. Some really good games. So then let's jump right into when the Iraq War started, and you knew that it was the right idea for you to enlist. So tell me about the reactions from your friends and family when you made the announcement that you planned on enlisting. So I'm going to have to back up, back it way up to give you the full story on this. So I, I come from a military family, not my parents, but my, my grandfathers, my uncles, my brother, my sister, five generations of military family. Uh, my brother, he went to uh, the Naval Academy. I went to his graduation and I was like, yes, like I'm going to join the Navy. Well, I'm 43, so I graduated in 1995. The time that I was doing, going to sign up and enlist, Clinton was in the office and a lot of downsizing was happening throughout the military. So it was pretty hard getting in the military back then. And I got permanently medically rejected from the military. I had all my eggs in the military basket back then. This is my spring of my senior year of high school. Now I'm scrambling around trying to get into college, end up going to college. Before all that, my recruiter said, give it three years, things will change. The MEPS, the uh, the military entrance processing station will lose your record. You can try again. I wasn't doing all that well in college, so I went back and I tried again. It It took me several times to actually get in the military. And it took the Iraq war, actually, and me getting in the best shape of my life to make it through the medical part of the entry. So my brother actually said, you know what, this might be the perfect time. You've got the right job. You're in great shape. Go back and try it again. Um, And lo and behold, my dad met the commanding officer of the local map station, and the rest is history. Long story form, I always knew that I wanted to be in the military, but the war was the best reason, the best way for me to get in. Gotcha. And so when you were in college, were there ROTC programs that you could have been a part of to really get a bit of a head start when it comes to working in the service? Central had an Army ROTC and me coming from a long line of sailors, Navy side, just, I should have gone and talked to them maybe, but in hindsight, but in reality, I was like, I never gave the Army a second thought. Um, I did meet some Marine Corps recruiters after my junior year of, of college. Marine Corps recruiters convinced me to go, listen, go the office officer side, go on uh, infantry officer side. So I actually pursued that, went back to the map station. And that's another good story. When I got to that map station, I remembered the back of my head, my recruiter all those years before saying, oh, they won't have your record anymore. Well, I got contracted in the Marine Corps. But when I got to MEPS, they were like, were you here three years ago? And I was like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Deny, 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 right? And right there at the front desk of the map station, the guy whips out my folder and here it is. And boom. Yeah, you were you were permanently medically rejected here three years ago. And I was like, that actually ended up being a really good thing in the long run. Because I'm glad I'm not a Marine. Nothing gets a Marine Corps. How long was it between your time leaving college and when you enlisted? Three years. 
almost four. Wow. So what were you doing in the meantime? Did you have a stable job or what was life looking like before you enlisted? I had met a girl in, while I was living in um, Chicago and I was, I was actually part owner of a little coffee shop on the far north side of the city. And then when I wasn't doing that, I was bouncing in a club down on North Avenue, met, met a girl and started working for a transmission company. Her brother was a regional operations manager of a transmission company, started working for them. They were called Cotman Transmissions back then. Doing really well on the south side of Chicago for a franchisee there. And then their brother's like, hey, you know what? We want to take you out and send you to the big time out in Mesa, Arizona, for the number one franchisee out there and take over one of his shops in Scottsdale. So packed up, moved out there to Scottsdale, worked for that transmission company for a while. And that is a dirty, nasty business, the transmission business. Really saw a lot of ugly, nasty stuff, a lot of cheating, said, I can't do this. Ended up ending that relationship, and I came back to the Midwest, basically started from scratch, said, what the heck am I going to do now? I went to EMT school, became an EMT, became an advanced EMT, started kind of laying the foundation for what I would do when I eventually came in the military. So that's, in a nutshell, what I was doing before. Well, from an ethical perspective, it definitely seems like you made the right decision to leave Arizona, and that's very great that you decided to do that. Now, when it comes to enlisting, I can't imagine how nervous and just scared overall when it comes to the reactions from friends and family when you break the news to them about your plans for enlisting. Do tell me a little bit about your relationship at the time when it came to your gathering of thoughts for enlisting and what your family immediately said once you broke the news to them. So it was fall of 03, a lot going on, fall of 03, um, as far as um, the, they were ramping up for Operation Phantom Fury. Then I'll get into that a little bit later. But a good buddy of mine who is a Navy CB um, that I've known forever, years and years and years, um, he was uh, actually a reservist that was getting called back on active duty orders. And he was like, he's like, you want to do what? He goes, you want to do what job? He goes, you know, they're just going to, they're going to send you through the pipeline. You're going to go straight to Iraq. And I was like, yep. It's fine with me. He's like, you're crazy. He's like, you got to get some sort of death wish or something. I'm like, no, man, it's not going to be like that. Actually, I was thinking back then, well, you know what? I'm going to be on, on some ship. I'll be off the coast of Iraq. It won't be like that. Nah, nah, nah. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. He's like, now watch. He's like, you're going to end up with the Fleet Marine Force. You're going to be in a platoon, boots on ground. I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. So he was trying to talk me out of it. The rest of my family was like, of course, brother, sister, aunts, uncles. Yeah, go Navy. Yeah, do it, do it for sure. So I didn't get as much resistance as you might think, except for that one friend who had been in and had deployed. He's like, no, don't do it. And I was like, but there's no talking me out of it. I was so stoked to do it. So that's interesting to hear how ready and prepared that you were to do it. Could you talk a little bit about the reactions that other people that enlisted may have had? Were they doing this almost out of someone else urging them to do it? Were they not fully engaged? I'm curious to hear what other people were thinking at the time when going over to Iraq. In boot camp, I came in at a, like, I would call it like a golden age, man. Everybody who was there really wanted to be there. It was a, it was a really cool mix. There were some people that were going to be contracted, pipeline, special warfare. Of course, they wanted to be there. There were some that were going to get their college education paid for. Then you had others who were trying to, just, you know, your typical story. You're trying to escape bad situation at home, trying to get, get out of their hometown or whatever. But the majority, the company that I ended up falling into was a, called a 900 division, was like your um, college-educated people. 
they were just super smart people, motivated, in great shape, just like it was awesome. It was an awesome experience all the way through my pipeline from boot camp to A school to C school to F and F school, all that kind of stuff. There were just people there just ready to kick ass. It was great. That's amazing that you were in that environment. Tell me a little yeah. bit about once you got to Iraq. I'll let you have the floor with that. I guess I could go into more detailed questions, but I'm curious overall to hear everything about your perspective regarding that. This is fun to talk about, actually, because it was just like, boom, boots on ground. It was it was on. It was on. First thing that really sticks out in my head was that middle of the night, huge convoy um, into our area of operation. And I just remember Cobras flying out overhead. That's Marine Corps attack helicopters. And then a couple of Apaches or somebody like attack helicopters fly right over the convoy, go right over a mountain um, ridge line and it's pummeling something. Boom, 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 boom. You just see the tracer rounds going crazy. And we're like pretty sure that was like a, a helo range, a training range, but we had had no idea at that time we're like whoa <laughs> as soon as we got to our area of operation and we got to our forward operating base it was it was on every day from day one it was go time every day seemed to bleed into the next man we worked every day almost seemed like around the clock for for the first month it was like two hours of sleep get up work again two hours of sleep get up work again crazy and so how long were you there for uh, I was there for almost six months before I got injured and got medevaced home. Also, oh, tell me a little bit about that, the injury. Uh, the one that got me sent home was on a rooftop taking over a house on the east side of Fallujah. Uh, we were in an area where there to try to catch the people who were planning improvised explosive devices in the road. And I was on a rooftop and a buddy of mine was getting his ass chewed out by the staff sergeant because he had forgotten the poles to set up the cami netting and to set up a post on this rooftop. And I overheard the conversation and I kind of felt bad for the guy who was getting his ass so I started looking for things, way to rig up this cami netting. And in Iraq, you can find just about anything in somebody's backyard. So I found some cinder blocks and I started bringing up the cinder blocks. I was like, oh, there's some poles. We can rig something up. So I carry one, carry up one cinder block or two sets of cinder blocks. Staff Sergeant comes back down the stairs after, after he's done giving my uh, buddy the ride act. And I set the second set of cinder blocks down and I felt what, what felt like a donkey kick. Like, like I set this up down and somebody just came up and drop kicked me in my side. And I was like, what the hell was that? And then I heard the burst. Oh, shit. I just got shot. So I go down because at first it, it, the shot didn't knock me down. I was just just startled, and I was like, "But then I heard the burst." Something in cyber school they teach you is that there's impact, and then you count one with thousand, two and thousand, and, and then you hear the burst, and that's the number of yards away. So it was about a three hundred yard shot, lofted over about a four foot wall, a lob shot that hit me in the side, and I, I went down. I got medevaced. Now, were you glad to be back home in America, or were you just itching to get back in there? What was your thought process once you made it back? In the hospital and one of the big bases, I mean, because I, I got moved around quite a bit, but I was still in country. I cannot remember for the life of me. I was at some hospital where I was like the last hospital I'd be at before they would put me on the big bird to send me home. Air Force, like Air Hospital. The doctors came over, and I actually felt pretty good, even though I had a um, the rounded nicked my lung, and I had a um, 
put a drain in me and stuff, but I didn't feel that bad. Maybe they just had me on, on meds or something. I was like, I could breathe pretty good. I was like, no, maybe I can just rehab here in country for a couple of weeks and I get this chest tube out of me and I can go back. And so docs were like huddle, you know, like give us a minute. And they huddled up for a minute and they were looking at me and I was like, and they come back like, yeah, well, you, you had a hemoneumothorax. Your chest cavity is going to be unstable. We can't, can't leave you in country. So I was bummed, like super bummed. You like, once you get in, like the, the platoon, that's your family, man. You don't want to leave your family, especially in my role as the, as the platoon medic. When I showed up to the hospital in, um, in Maryland, I was at the, uh, Bethesda. I was estranged from my wife. We had, she basically like wanted to, she'd asked for a divorce before I left. We had two small children. So that's a whole other story. So I was estranged from the, my wife and I'm laid up in this, in my hospital bed. And nurse comes in and says, hey, you got family here. And I'm thinking it's all going to be mom, dad, whatever. I come walling out my, uh, my little walkie thing with the, with the train hooked on to it, expecting to see mom and dad. And lo and behold, it's the estranged wife and my two kids and her mom show up. And my parents aren't there. And I was like, what, what the hell is this all about? Interesting. I mean, I definitely wouldn't have expected that. Yeah, right? A couple days later, my dad did show up. My mom didn't show up. Apparently, maybe she she couldn't see me like that, even though I really was not bad. I don't know. To this day, I still don't know why she didn't show up. But my dad showed up. My brother came later. Some other family come trickle in to visit me in the hospital. Some lived kind of not too far away. But it was weird, man. It was not comfortable. Not a comfortable situation. Well, I'm glad you were on the road to recovery and that your family was still very fortunate to see you. So let's talk about after you made that recovery. What happened next to you? So I went, did some rehab stuff, kind of took it easy for a while. And I think maybe after 90 days, I was deemed fit for full duty and went back to my regular job, which was at the time uh, working at uh, Naval Hospital Camp Pendleton. And so now you do some contract work for Department of Defense and Department of State. So why don't you give us a breakdown about the difference between those organizations and what those jobs may look like? State Department, you're right by saying they go by Department of State. And DOD, vastly different. They parallel each other in a lot of different ways. Their mission sets are, their mission sets look a lot like each other, but at the same time, they are two vastly different command and control aspects, different chains of command, answer, um, of course, to the Secretary of State or DOD answers to the SecDef. But there's a lot of similarities, but, and same mission sets but completely different control and different logistics. And so what area did you end up going down? So with DOD, I was in a, done a lot of consulting, and I've done a lot of contract work with them. What I mean by that, when you hear a DOD contractor, I've done some security work for them, overseas security. And here in, in country, I've worked with mainly the Marine Corps, doing consulting work, coming up with training scenarios, working through training scenarios and doing some evaluation kind of stuff uh, with their training liaisons with the different units that are getting ready to deploy. Now, in comparison to the excitement that you had going into Iraq, were you eager to jump right into this particular work or was it something that you had to settle for? You can take the take the guy out of the uniform, but you can't take the uniform out of the guy, man. It's a very addictive lifestyle. So 
it hasn't been that long since I've been out of the uniform and I took a, like a year off and I really missed it. And I almost went back and started serving again, active duty, but then doing the contract work kind of scratched that itch. It was definitely not something I had to do. I mean, I've got other avenues, but for me, I had to do it because I just love that kind of work so much really fulfilling to take my experiences and pass along what I learned overseas to the next generation. I mean, it's, it's invaluable experience for them and for, and for me. A lot of people out there end up graduating and work in careers that they feel they have to be there for a certain reason. They're not there for their own self-fulfillment. So it seems like you definitely got a lot out of this. Absolutely. And that's, that's the way I, I, I work, man. Like I pursue my work, my career based on like, I got to I got to like what I do. If I don't like what I do, I'm not going to be su- successful at it. I I enjoy what I do. I kick ass. And so I mean, I recommend that for everyone. You want to be successful in in life and in, in your work life, do what you want to do and do it really well. On the topic of career advice, when it comes to careers in the service, what advice would you give to people that are strongly considering? Few things. Every branch of the military is very very different. Talk to several different recruiters. I mean, go across the board if you need to, because the differences are just monumental. You got to find what kind of works for you. If you're a hard charger, go into the Army, Marine Corps. If you're looking, hey, say, I'm just looking to get my college paid for and do four years and get out, I would pursue something like Air Force or Navy. If you want to be like, I'm a hard charger, but I don't necessarily want to go overseas, Coast Guard has some amazing opportunities. So find what branch works for you and then don't accept just anything. When you when you go in, talk to the recruiter, know what you want because every contract's negotiable. That's what I want somebody to know, first and foremost. Officer and enlisted, your contract's negotiable. So do your research. Go in there and say, I want this, this, and this and stick to your guns and get what you what you want out of it. And then the last thing is the military is definitely what you make it. Just like every other organization, man. You got to find what you really passionate about. Is there a lot of bullshit when it comes to the military? Absolutely. We call it the 95 and 5 rule. You put up with 95% bullshit for that 5% of, of amazing, awesome experiences you can get nowhere else. Live for that 5% and trust me, it's worth it. Now, you mentioned earlier about how some people are joining specifically to get their college paid for. Now, right off the bat, it does kind of lose me when it comes to their overall intention for joining this particular service. So what do you think people need to evaluate within themselves before making an executive decision to join the service? This is going to be a big one for today's generation. Can you humble yourself and take orders? You got to be learned to be good at getting yelled at being uh, held accountable, being uncomfortable for long periods of time. But at the same time, too, you got to grow a backbone. But the military is a lot like any other organization. You got to develop some street cred. You want respect, you got to earn respect. Today's generation, I don't know how well they're going to take to getting yelled at and seeing that there's there's sometimes in your training, you can't do anything right. But that's part of the lesson. You know what I mean? Yeah, if you want to be in the military, you better get ready to be able to take orders and not take things so personal. Don't, you know, don't get offended by everything because you're going to get offended. 
<laughs> Trust me. It's just the military. Right, you are. So then let's circle back to college for just one last moment. Do you think your experiences and education have held up since you graduated? 100%. The title of your podcast really appealed to me, and I reached out to you because of the quote-unquote useless degrees. Actually, I want to like, I want I want to talk about that because a degree shows people that you can start something and finish something. So in reality, a degree is never really that useless. It might take mine, for instance, history. What's what's a guy with a degree in history going to do? Well, he's going to work maybe in a, at a museum, or he's going to further your education and go on and be a professor, or you know, teach whatever. I didn't do that. However, my history degree, I couldn't have gotten the jobs I did with DoD and with DOS without having a degree because you have to show people that's the big thing. You can start something, you can finish something. That's an amazing perspective that I don't believe I've ever heard before. So I thank you for that. Would you say that getting a degree is absolutely necessary considering the role you take on today? Did I have to to get to where I am? Probably not. Would I change my experiences in, in college and the fact that I I got in myself, I paid for it myself, my deployments helped me pay off my college debts. I have no college debt because of my deployments now. It's something, It's I'm more proud, believe it or not, getting myself through Central Michigan University than the vast majority of stuff I did in the military, just because it was mine. I was an immature dumb kid who had no direction whatever, but somehow I gathered myself enough to get through four years of college on my own. It's really important. I learned so much from just doing that. Well, let's talk about that moment in particular, how you mentioned going from an ignorant young student to someone that had your shit together and your mind made up. What really was the light bulb that went off in your head? Uh, There was nobody left to hold my hand. It was sink or swim, man. You have to, for me, there was a total thing. 19 was a big year for me. I was like, I'm not a high school kid anymore. Need to go to college. Need to figure this thing out. Then 24 hit. I was like, I'm not a college kid anymore. Need to figure this thing out. And then 27 years old, I'm in the middle of Iraq. And I'm in charge of the health and well-being of of a platoon, of an infantry platoon, you know, of Marines. Yeah, you have to mature. I mean, it's just the the light bulb thing. I don't know. It's like it it just turned on one day. Like, I'm not a kid anymore. Figure it out (laughs) or I'm not going to eat. You know what I'm saying? Right, you are. So then let's talk a little bit about your book. Why don't you give us a rundown on everything that you've been working on? Yeah, so um, it came about the end of March. So the wife and I, we're pretty mobile. We like, we love travel. I mean, that's our number one passion. We've been, we just had our um, six-year anniversary this past Saturday. In that six years, we would travel. We'd lose at least do a weekend trip at least once a month. So then COVID hit, and we're on lockdown, and we're just getting stir crazy about like week three or week four. Um, so we break the rules, man. Here in California, there was they locked down. Um, well, like okay, well we'll just pack our bags and we'll go to Utah. We headed out. Our first trip for this year was uh, Zion National Park, and it was our like first taste of like f- like real freedom. We still practiced the social distancing and the masks, even though they, they weren't, because we were like, hey, we're from California. We might we have more exposure than they do. We're not going to be those jerks who bring COVID per se into this area. You know what I'm saying? So we did that trip. It was absolutely amazing. We felt freedom like we hadn't felt in a while. And we just kept going. And what ended up happening is my wife would work three weeks and then she'd get furloughed for a week. So I was like, that's perfect. Every month, she'd have a week paid vacation, basically. So we would pack up. We hit 
Bryce Canyon. We had Moab. We're, I mean, so many different places. Um, Grand Canyon. Anyway, it's all in the book. And we did all these trips. And I make a video. I have a YouTube channel, Randy Sunaran, a little plug there. And I just, my, my mom goes, you know what? What you did this summer would make an excellent coffee book. And I was like, huh. So I started looking at my videos, looking at pictures, and started writing all these these trips down and how each town was kind of affected by COVID and how they were trying to recover, you know, and still make ends meet. And still, you know, all these tourist towns were getting crushed by COVID, but still trying to figure it out, still attract people to their towns, but still be safe from COVID. So I wanted to document all that, how people were doing, how, how that affected them and, and, and things of that. Nature. And that's an amazing perspective. I'm really looking forward to reading this book. At what process are you in at the current moment with your book? So it's written and we're now in the editing phase. It's actually with my wife. She's adding pictures to the different chapters. She's three quarters of the way done with that. And then we've got an editor in the town next door to us visiting in Vista, California. Have a meeting with them to get the professional editing done and then get through the process, get the ISBNs, um, you know, get all the paperwork nice and polished. And hopefully have it out by uh, this spring. That's amazing to hear. And once again, I'm very much looking forward to it. What are your future plans in terms of traveling? Once the vaccine is here and we get to go ahead and travel, it's overseas. We've already got, we're supposed to go to Italy past spring. So it's going to be Europe. Wife's from Southeast Asia. There was definitely a trip to Southeast Asia to visit her family. We're going to go and we're going to go big time. When I'm not working, when I'm here in the country, we're going to be going. So at least probably like once a month. Until that can happen, we still got some spots up and down the West Coast to hit still. We want Washington State, Oregon, and then we want to hit up Wyoming's, your Montana's, Idaho, all, all that stuff. So we've still got so many places to hit until we can go overseas. Well, I definitely look forward to experiencing all that through your perspective on your YouTube channel. So that's very exciting to hear. And that is all the time I have for you today. So thank you so much for being with us today, Randy. I really had a great time with this conversation. And thank you for your service, everything that you have done, all of your advice that you had given. I think this is really going to resonate with people. Thank you so much for being here today. And I wish you luck in the future with everything. Thanks for having me. This was really fun. People get a chance to check out the YouTube channel, Randy Sunaron. And uh, yeah, everybody stay safe. And thank you so much for having me. Really enjoyed it. My guest today was Randy Bozung. Thank you so much for listening on this episode of Useless Degrees. Follow us on our Instagram at useless.degrees. Follow us on Twitter at uselessdegrees underscore. And like our Facebook page, Useless Degrees Podcast. Please subscribe for more episodes and share with your friends and family. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to entertaining you all on the next episode.